Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, Genesis chapter 9. And I might skip around a little bit, uh, because if you look, chapter 10 is just a list of names. So we're not going to read that whole thing. But it starts out in chapter 9. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and the terror of you shall be instinctive in every animal of the land and in every bird of the air. And together with everything that moves on the ground and with all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I give you everything as I gave you the green plants and vegetables. So this chapter is a continuation of chapter 8 where we saw Noah sacrificed to the Lord. He got an altar and he sacrificed some of the clean animals and, and made a covenant Oh, it says, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man. Never again will I flood the entire earth. And here we see God blesses Noah for that. It's a continuation of chapter 8. Um, it, everything is basically started over. Everything is started over. And God begins this start over. That's, that's good. Um, that's, that's good wording. Um, with a covenant. And this is the first time we see a covenant in the Bible. It's the first covenant in the Bible. And isn't it interesting? I find it so interesting that Adam was in a world where he was walking close with God. And God saw the world and he saw and everything he saw, he said it was good. And Adam, living in a world that was all good, chose to walk away from God. And here we have Noah, who was living in a world that was so violent and it was totally evil and it was away from God and Noah chose God. God he, Noah chose God in a world like that and I just think man that that should give us hope because I know so often um, Christians we like are like man all this is happening this is happening and, and like yeah, I'm just watching the world and they just seem to be it's just getting crazy out there and I'm kind of losing hope and like God are you going to do anything and it's like Noah lived in a world that was pure evil, and he chose God. And I think that is when God, that is when revival happens. That is when people choose to God, choose God. That's when they run to God, is when they realize, man, this is what we need. This is who we need. If, right now, people are in the streets crying out for justice, crying out for fairness, and they don't even know that they're crying out for God because God is just. God is the epitome of justice. And so, so God enters a covenant with Noah in this new beginning. And there are striking parallels between Abraham's covenant, which we'll see later, and Noah's covenant, because a covenant with God works the same. So Noah's covenant, it says, Then God said to Noah in chapter 8. God spoke to Noah. God initiated it. Okay, then it says, Come out of the ark. So Noah came out. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord. God blessed Noah. He told him to be fruitful and increase. And then he says, I will establish my covenant with you and your descendants. Not just you, but your descendants. The covenant I make with you, the blessing I give to you, will be passed on to your line. And then with Abraham, in chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, and I hope I'm not like using up my sermon for chapter 12 with this. But it says, the Lord said to Abraham, he initiated it, and he said, leave your country, just like come out of the ark, follow me, step away, okay? And so Abram left, just like Noah came out from his people. They obeyed, 
The third part, they obeyed. And so Abram built an altar to the Lord. God says, I will bless you. I will make you into a great nation, like be fruitful and increase. And then he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So these, these things are lining up right. The first thing, God begins it. God reaches out. Second, he calls them to follow him. They obeyed. Third part, they obeyed. Then they built an altar of sacrifice, which the sacrifice for us is Jesus' blood, right? We obey, Jesus' blood covers up, and then God blesses them. And then he makes promises um, as they are given a charge. Be fruitful and increase. Do this. And then blessings pass to the offspring. That's the way it works in a covenant with God. So God blesses Noah and his sons in this, in this little thing we just read. Um, we also ch- see a change in the structure of how everything works. Now all the animals will instinctually fear man, okay? Except for sharks, apparently. Um, shark Week, anybody, right? <laughs> We're into Shark Week so much, like our kids are watching it and they're liking it, and then I, I doubt they're ever going to go in the water. But um, So, my bad. Uh, but now all animals will instinctually fear man. Gone is the garden. And just so you know, I know... You might be like, well, I have a dog, and he's not afraid of me. He is. Secretly, he hates you. Um, I, that's probably true of cats, but not that I'm not a cat person. I have a cat, because you don't have to maintain them. Um, but when it says in the Bible, all, it, it means generally speaking. That's the rule, okay? There are some exceptions, but that is the rule. And then there are other instructions given. But you shall not eat meat along with its life, that is its blood, for your lifeblood, I will most certainly require an accounting. From every animal that kills a person, I will require it. And from man, from every man's brother, that is anyone who murders, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood unlawfully by man, judicial government, shall his blood be shed. From the image of God, he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. So he tells them not to eat blood. Blood is the God-given sign of life. Um, and we can see in this entire statement how much God values life. So much so that he says when a life is taken, when a life is taken, the only punishment that will suffice is their life is forfeit because life is so valuable to God. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the pros and cons of the death penalty. Okay? Um, just kidding. But I was like, man, I said people are going to think death penalty. But I, 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 and I'm not getting political. But I so often hear people like, oh, if you're for the death penalty, then you don't value life. And I'm like, I value life, and I want you to die. So obviously, no, I'm just kidding. <sighs> Scrub that in the recording. Um, no, but it, it's like it, it, the value of life is so high that that's the only punishment that will suffice. That's what, that's what God says. It's like taking a life, this thing I've created, it's so important to me, and it's such a, it's such a tragedy that this is the only punishment that will suffice. And then he continues with the covenant statement. Then God spoke to Noah, in verse 8, and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I am establishing my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals of the earth along with you. Of everything that comes out of the ark, every living creature of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the water of a flood, nor shall there ever again be a flood to destroy and ruin the earth. 
And God said, this is the token of the solemn covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I set my rainbow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring clouds over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the clouds, and I will compassionately remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again will the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the rainbow is in the clouds and I look at it, I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This rainbow is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all living things on the earth. Now notice, Noah doesn't ask for a promise. Noah isn't like, hey, look, if I'm going to get out of this ark, I need you to make some promises to me, okay? First of all, I didn't really enjoy that. Please don't do it again. Secondly, you know what I mean? Like, he wasn't like, this horrible thing happened in my life, and now I need you to promise me it's not going to happen again. He didn't ask for it. God gives the promise on his own. He says, look, I'm going to promise you that that won't happen again. I'm going to calm you down. Sometimes God can deliver us from something and he can bring us so far, but then we can doubt he's going to bring us the rest of the way. We can doubt he's going to bring us the rest of the the way. We think like, man, he might might drop, drop us, right? And this covenant, this promise is like, I didn't bring you this far to drop you. I didn't bring you this far to let you go. I I wonder what it was like for the first few generations, you know, and, and even Noah with his children, when they're out and they're farming, they're doing stuff, when the clouds started to roll in, if they ever, like, ran through their sins, they were like, well, what did I do yesterday? Is he like, uh, uh, is it going to, it's raining, uh, it's raining again, you know, and God didn't want that. He's like, I need you to trust me. I need you to know that I'm not going to do that to you. I delivered you, I brought you this far, and I'm not going to drop you. There is a purpose and a plan behind what has happened. So Noah now is basically, he's like the new Adam. It's a new beginning with something new, a covenant with God and a charge to be fruitful and fill the earth. And remember this charge because it's going to come back next week. And then it says in verse 18, the sons of Noah, Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. It's important to remember. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. So things have already started to go awry. And again, we're going to note some similarities here between the new Adam, Noah, and the original Adam. Both are given dominion over all creation. Both are blessed and told to be fruitful and multiply. Adam obviously tended a garden or we wouldn't have any food, and Noah and he made some wine, so that had to come from somewhere. 
And Noah obviously tended gardens as there was fruit. Sorry, had that reversed. But they both tended the garden. And both fell by means of partaking of fruit. One was uh, in the garden they tended. One, Adam, was told not to partake of this fruit. It was forbidden, and he did it. We know in the Bible it says not to get drunk on wine. And, And Noah did it. And he did things forbidden by God. In both instances, there's nakedness that uncovers their shame, right? Adam and Eve hid, and they said, we're naked, like, and, and we're like embarrassed. We're, we're ashamed of it. And Noah's shame comes from being naked. And Adam's sin resulted in a curse being placed on his descendants, all mankind. And Noah's sin resulted on a curse being placed on one line of his descendants, the line of Ham. The interesting thing about the Bible is it's the only, like, um, only religious book where its heroes or where its stars or where its protagonists are shown like in their mistakes and in their shame. It's not, it's not like everything they did was perfect and, and they made the best decisions and they were, they made horrible mistakes and we see that um, throughout the Bible. We see them as they are. And so let's look at these three brothers real quick. Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Um, now, some people think that Ham did some other things um, because, and I think one reason we think Ham must have done something else is because we think this is a really harsh punishment. You know, this is a really harsh punishment. It doesn't seem like a big deal. But he dishonored his father. And I think there's more to it, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But it's honor your father and your mother is one of the Ten Commandments. And Jesus himself brings it up again in Matthew. Someone says, hey, what commandment should I follow? In Matthew 19, 19, he says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I think we've really diminished, like you hear these other ones, right? We're like, yeah, don't steal, don't kill, don't lie, love your neighbor as yourself. But rarely do you hear like, hey, honor your father and your mother, right? Except maybe from your father and your mother um, when you're little, you know? Um, and we've d- diminished the significance of this one. It says in Deuteronomy 5, 16, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you, that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I tell this to my son all the time. I'm like, buddy, I don't want to punish you, right? But I want things to go well with you. And I always bring up Flynn because he's the only one I punish it. Daisy handles Ivy and Aurora's perfect, pretty much. Um, <laughs> Not really. But there is evidence, and this is evidence, that honoring your father and mother might lead to things not going well for you. And I honestly think this is one of our major issues in the world today, right? Because our father and mother are our first, they're the first authority figures over us, right? Who give us rules to follow, who tell us right from wrong, right? And if we don't, and we, we never like what they say, right? I mean, I'm like 41, and my mom tells me. It's just like someone can be like, hey, I want to just tell you something. And you're like, okay, thanks, I received that. And my mom's like, I want to tell you something. I'm like, Wah. you know? And I'm just like, just be, mom, just mind your own. And you really you just go back to that place, and you're just like, just get out of my room. Just get out of my room. I just need something, right? So Am, Ham, I'm calling him Am now for short, always into nicknames, hate long names. So Ham dishonors his father and goes and tells his brothers. Now, let's remember, Ham, he's not a child. He's not a little kid. He is old enough. He is old enough. 
it took something in his heart. Let's just look at his heart for a second. It took something in his heart to see his father, someone he loves and who he should honor, see him in his worst possible state, an embarrassing state, and then go out and say, you should look at this. I want you to see this. You should come in and see this person whom we love in his worst possible state. And then probably we're going to laugh about it. We're going to laugh about it. There's something in his heart that led that there was some kind of disdain and dishonor for his father to do this. And so Noah wakes up and he's not very happy. Uh, so he blesses the other two sons and he curses. Notice he doesn't curse him. He continuously says Canaan, his descendants. And, and this might be, uh, this is either a curse or a powerful prophecy of the human race, but we're going to look at these blessings first. Most blessings in the Bible, because we're all studying blessings in the Bible and how they roll, um, usually the, the oldest son gets the authority over the rest of the family and they get the, the wealth or the blessing. They get everything, the oldest son, the, the wealth or the fruitfulness. But here we see Noah actually, he splits the blessing. He splits the blessing up. Um, and notice to, with Shem, he said, this is the only child that he actually says, he says, um, the Lord is his God, the God of Shem. Shem is the chosen line, which, we're, which we will see. And he's actually given the authority. He will be over both Japheth and Ham. It says explicitly about Ham's descendants, the Canaanites. And we can actually see it in Japheth's blessing. Because in Japheth's blessing, he's given the blessing of fruitfulness. But it is contingent upon him getting along well with Shem. And that's what it means when it says, may he live in the tents of Shem. It means may he get along well with Shem and he will be fruitful and things will go well for him when he is getting along with Shem. And then Ham is given a curse, the opposite of a blessing. A curse is a judgment. It says his descendants will be slaves to both Shem and Japheth's descendants. And then we get into chapter 10 and chapter 10 is actually, it's called the table of nations. And scholars agree, um, maybe some begrudgingly, that it's the most complete and accurate record of the nations that we have. Um, and I'm not going to read it all aloud, but let's look at it. You can just kind of glance yourself. And, and it says, it talks about these families and their line and how it um, goes down. It starts with the Japhites. And I just want to point out one person in the Hamites, the sons of Ham, um, and actually, if you look, you can kind of, some of their names, you can tell what people they come, what people they become. The sons of Ham, uh, if you've read the, your Bible enough, you might notice that there's a land called Cush, and we know there's a land called Canaan. But it says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That's why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. I'm not going to talk about Nimrod today, but we're going to talk about Nimrod a lot next week, and that's why I'm pointing it out. So it talk, it, the, chapter 10, the table of nations, tells where, what everyone becomes, what people they become. And actually, um, if we can look at the table of nations, you can actually see where these names, how they, have, how they spread out. Um, I'm going to read some of the names. I'm going to read them poorly because, honestly, I didn't care to look up how to say all those names. Um, but without touching them all, we find, for instance, that the, 
uh, descendants of Japheth become the, um, the Simri from Gomer, who were the first to settle the area of Wales and Britain. Uh, the Scythians came from Magog, who formed the Russian people, or the uh, Russian Olympic Committee now. Uh, the Medes from Madai, the Greeks from Yavin, and the Thracians from Tyrus, who became the Macedonians, from who eventually came Alexander the Great. And from these groups of people came the Germans, Celts, and Armenians. Um, and we should also take notice that the line of Japheth was Tarshish. And this is primarily modern-day Spain. Okay, so we can actually trace these people and see what peoples they become. And for the most part, you can go to the next one, for the most part we can see that Shem populated uh, the Middle East and Asia. So originally, this line of blessing isn't just the Jews. It's also the Arabs. It's everyone from that area. And then we'll see God continuously kind of whittles down with the blessing of one line until the Jews um, become the nation of God. But so Shem populated the Middle East and Asia, and Japheth populated Europe and then the Americas, so that's, that's where we are. Um, and then Ham's descendants become the races that occupied Africa, including Egypt and the people of Canaan. They were always being conquered or conquering the descendants of Shem. Egyptians and Philistines were Hamites. Okay? Um, so then I made a huge side note that I was going to do, and then I thought, that's way too much. So we can actually see these blessings and these curses played out. Um, and we may think it's a harsh curse for Ham. Because um, when I read it, I'm just like, man, why didn't Noah do that? Like, it's such a harsh curse. But God says in Genesis 12, this is when he's making his covenant with Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. God is always the same. He's like, you're, you're my chosen. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And Ham dishonored not just anyone, his father, someone he should love and respect and show honor to. It's a commandment. And this verse in Genesis 12 is actually a part of God's promise to Abraham when he makes the covenant with Abraham. But there is more to it. There's more to it. The next verse actually says, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we might think, this horrible curse on Ham and his descendants. But God says, not much later, a few chapters later, he says, I've got a plan, Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Through Abraham's seed, this very seed, even though one line was under a curse, God promises that through Abraham's seed, all the earth shall be blessed. And that came to pass when, when Jesus died on the cross, that all might be blessed. And we... As Christians, as the people of God grafted in, we've been called to share this blessing. In 1 Peter 3, 9, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. To this you were called to repay evil with blessing. And you were called to do this so that you may inherit a blessing. We have been called to share this blessing, to repay evil with blessing, and we receive blessing in return. We've been called to what? To set the captives free. We've been called to set the captives free from the curse of sin and extend the blessing to them. See, Ham, he saw his father at his worst. 
in his sin, and he wanted others to see him in that state. Look at him. Isn't, isn't this so repulsive? Doesn't it just disgust you? Doesn't it just like open your eyes to who he really is? And when I see him as he really is, like, I, I just, ugh, it's so, it's so gross. Isn't that shameful? And when you think about it, as Christians who've been called to repay evil with good and who have been called to set the captives free, do we do the same thing? Do we do the same thing? Do we see others caught up in their sin and their shame? And they're asleep and they don't even know it. They're asleep to it. They don't realize the shame. They don't realize what they're in. And do we say, oh, man, did you hear about, did you hear about them? Do you know what they're doing? I didn't even see it, but someone told me. And isn't that disgusting? Like, I don't even think that they, uh, it's just gross. Do we do that or do we cover them? Do we say, look, look, the brothers, they walked in backwards, said, I don't want to see your sin. I'm aware of it. Someone told me, I know what I will see if I look. I know what I will see if I open my eyes. And I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it because I love you. And so I'm going to walk in backwards and I'm going to bring in this covering the blood of Jesus. I'm going to bring the covering in and I'm going to cover you up backwards and I'm not going to focus on who you've been. I'm not going to focus on your shame. I'm not going to focus on your sin. I'm going to come in and I'm going to cover you. I'm going to be the one who brings in the covering into your home. I'm going to be the one that you're in sin and you don't even know it and I'm highly aware of it, but I'm not going to point it out to point out your shame. I'm going to come in and I'm going to love on you and I'm going to cover you and I'm going to honor you and you might not deserve it. I might be disgusted by where you're at, but I'm, I have been called to be a blessing. I have been called to bring this covering, to bring Jesus to them and show them and do it in a way that's so full of love that they don't even realize what I saw because I'm not reacting to it. If you think about people caught up in sin, like, and we, we've been called to set the captives free, and you just, like, can you imagine people just, like, physically sitting in chains, and we sing, like, look at you. Don't we kind of do that? Man, I get, I, I, you know, I, I get mad at people sometimes, and I'm just like, that's your fault. That's your fault. I told you. I told you so. I don't tell them that to their face, but you tell other people, I told them so, you know? And we say, I don't, man, you look at you. I told you. I told you. I told you you would be like this. Right, and you didn't listen. Or do, we, or do we try to slowly but surely set that captive free? And at first, they're captive so long, they don't really want you to come near. People put walls up. I don't, I don't want you to come near. Because even though, even though they may not be fully aware of the shame, some people are. And, and we deny it. And they deny it, but we just like, man, I, I, I just, I know where I am. I know the shame I'm in, and I don't want you to come in. They're almost like, finally, like, don't come in. Don't come in my home. Don't come in this tent, because you're going to see some things you're not going to like. Don't come in here. Just stay away. And we're like, no, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming in backward. I'm not looking. I'm not focused on your shame. I'm focused on what's going to free you from it. I'm bringing you Jesus. I'm not coming in how you think I'm coming. I'm coming in how God told me to come. I'm not coming in to repay the evil. I'm not coming in to look at your shame. I'm coming in to extend the blessing and break the curse. I've come in to break the curse. I am coming because I want you to be set free, because Jesus wants you to be set free. And he has called me to do the same. People are caught up in chains all around us. And there's and there those guys whose sin has been handed down through the generations. 
through generations generations we see it over and over again and if they're not set free they're going to hand it down to the next generation how often do you look at a child and you say man you're a cute child and you're a good kid but man i don't know who you're going to be because i know i know what i've seen this play out time and time again i've seen this play out time and time again I man i worked at a at a psych ward with adolescents and and just from my own life i see people and they like man my dad my dad's an alcoholic and i oh i hated my dad i hated who he was i hated who he was in the home he was never there i'll never ever be like him i'm never going to be like him if there's one thing in this world i'm going to be like it is not going to be like that and then you watch them and they become it and they become it and you're like how did that happen how did you become the thing you hate how did you become it i've seen people who were abused and they're like i'm never going to abuse abuse my children the way it happened to me the way it made me feel inside the things i had to go through the counseling i had to take i'm never going to do that and then they grow up and you see them do the same thing and you're like how do you become the sin that you hate sometimes sin takes hold of a family and we just see it passed down and passed down and passed down and that's what happened with Ham there is generational sin and and if we're going to break set people free from their chains we need to be aware of the curse of sin and be willing to fight it do be willing to struggle with it be willing to say hey i'm going to love you no matter what and i'm going to come in but also i'm going to pray to break those chains are we praying over children whose fathers are alcoholics and saying i'm going to pray over you every single day i'm going to pray the blood of jesus over you to break that chain cuz it stops now cuz you're not going to be it your kids aren't going to be it your kids aren't going to be it you're going to live a life of blessing and you're not going to live under the curse of sin because Jesus has the power to break it or do we just say well we're just hoping that it doesn't happen well or we think like maybe we could do some different conditional things and it may not happen and still sometimes it happens we need to get on our knees and pray to break generational sin because it is alive and well we just pass it on and when we do it we can't point and judge like him we have to do it in love but we have to be aware of the power of sin the curse of sin and we have to go to war with sin we have to go to war with it on our knees praying and so we're going to begin here we're going to begin here cuz it says don't just be hearers of the word be doers of the word and so often we go to church and we hear a message we're like we need to break the power of sin and break generational sin all right you guys have a good day and have a great week bless you and you're like okay oh, we got to get to sunnies it gets crazy around 1:00 you know like but there's generational sin we need to be doers of the word we need to be on our knees we need to be fighting in prayer we need to be fighting in prayer and so today freaking I'm just looking around joe you have generational sin i want to pray for no i'm just kidding come up here <laughs> that's how we do it i'm just going to point you out i know things guys but i'm coming in backward uh no i'm just kidding um tom if you can get the lights cuz it's going dark. Um not you. Sorry, I was talking about you cuz you do worship. That <laughs> not you. You're not really in a place to pray for people. You're not in a place really to pray for people. Uh Diane, you in here? Diane, come up. You can come up and play something real nice. Feeling really empty. Thanks. Uh C chord. C chord. Feel hopeful. Um That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um If you have generational sin and not just you 
Because we all have friends. We all have family. I have family members that I've just watched and watched alcoholism just go down the line and down the line. And people that we had such hope for at one point, you watch them to succumb to the sin of their fathers. And I know everyone in this room has people in their lives that have generational sin. They're just passing it down. And we're going to stand in the gap. We're going to stand in the gap and we're going to intercede for them. And so if you have, um, if, if you're just aware of this generational sin that's being passed down your family line, that's being passed down your friend's family line, that's just going down and down and you're watching it happen. You're watching it happen. I just pray that you would have the courage to come up or you can pray in your chair or pray with each other, but we're going to pray about it. We're not just going to leave here and have lunch. We're going to pray about it. We're going to break chains. We're going to set people free. We are going to be doers of the word. We're going to be on our knees. We're not just going to be hearers only. We're not just going to be hearers only. Never want to be just a hearer. Okay, and I say that with great disdain. We're going to be doers of the word. Lord, I just thank you. I just thank you and praise you that you set the captives free, that you said so long ago, I will bless all the families. I will bless all the families all the families of the world I will break the curse of sin I'm going to send my son and he will break the curse of sin and so many of us Lord we know people who are just sitting in their sin and passing it on and passing it down the line Lord and not even struggling and not even fighting with it Lord and I just pray that you would just put something in us today that we would be willing to fight that we would want to fight that we would want to rise up Lord and that we could do it in love that we could do it in love, Lord, that we could change the world by going into people's homes, people that don't even want us there because of their shame, and that we will go in backwards to lay the covering of Jesus' blood over them, Lord. And that's what we're going to do today, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that as we pray for these people, Lord, the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, and all the power, the power of the name of Jesus, Lord, I know you're already at work, but I just pray that it would begin over time to break those chains. They would just break those chains. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I just want to invite you up as, as the music plays to come up and, and pray over any sin, generational sin. It doesn't have to be yours. It doesn't have to be your family's. It can, it can be friends or whatever, but we need to begin, just to begin to pray about it, to break it. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.